The following podcast uh, may contain language and or content that is not suitable for children or uh, people who are easily offended. Uh, So listener discretion is advised. Tonight, on the very first episode of Joe Declassified Spec Ops, we pull the curtain back on an unproduced G.I. Joe playset that would have rivaled the likes of the Defiant, the Terradrome, and the Flag. Our guest host, Chris Murray, will take you on a tour of this concept, floor by floor and turret by turret, with 16 sketches from his personal collection. We also gather our thoughts briefly on the highly charged, heavily controversial, mildly articulated, pre-Toy Fair Hasbro reveals. And James walks into a bar, and that is the punchline. Welcome to Joe Declassified Spec Ops. Hello, and welcome to the primordial, the inaugural, the pilot episode, if you will, of the Joe Declassified Spec Ops podcast. I'm Gyre Viper, alias Gary Goggles, legally Gary Head. Uh, We are a podcast about the world of G.I. Joe, but also a podcast about the hidden world of G.I. Joe. Uh, Long story short, the idea for this podcast is about a year old. It didn't exactly start out as a declassified podcast, uh, per se, but after some thought and some conversations, it seemed appropriate to steer it in that direction and make it so. So I rounded up my friends and peers and even some people I'd never really even talked to before, and here we are. As a child, G.I. Joe was hands down the greatest toy line. It still is. Um, In the 80s, I was putting Zartan out on the windowsill in the sun for days uh, to see if I could get him to turn any other colors. Um, In the 90s, I was making home movies with G.I. Joes and was often late for school because it conflicted with morning viewings of the uh, Deke series. In the later 90s, when I had accidentally started a vintage Star Wars collection, which I no longer have, um, although at the time it wasn't as vintage, obviously, I'd walk through toy shows with my mother, who was collecting holiday Barbies while I was hunting down international Star Wars bootlegs, and I'd see G.I. Joe stuff and tell myself that one day, one day, I would collect G.I. Joe. Um, Fast forward, after attending two Joe Cons now, uh, and being very much immersed in the passionate realms of Joe collecting, I thought, hey, maybe I'll start a podcast. Uh, One of my favorite things about this hobby is going to JoeCon and sitting in the hotel lobby till the sun comes up with fellow collectors and talking about G.I. Joe. It's the same thing you'll hear the other Gary, the first Gary, and Justin talk about on their podcast, What's on Joe Mind. Forums and threads are fun, but nothing beats the face-to-face or the ear-to-ear, as it were. So as this podcast idea grew and reshaped, I figured I'd reach out to some people and attempt to tap into that JoeCon hotel lobby 3-in-the-morning experience a bit. 
So what we're going to do is we're going to go around the room and introduce ourselves, but each of us is also going to speak to our experiences with the Joe Declassified Project, uh, what it means to us, that sort of thing. Uh, that way, for those of you unfamiliar with Joe Declassified and what we're about, you can maybe get an idea of where we're coming from and what we're trying to accomplish. You can, of course, hit up jodeclassified.com for more information, but hopefully throughout this episode and future episodes, the ideals of Joe Declassified will flesh themselves out for you. We want everyone in the G.I. Joe collecting community to be a part of the Joe Declassified project. We don't do this for ourselves. It doesn't matter if you collect prototypes or don't have anything rare. That's not what Declassified is about. Go check the mission statement on joedeclassified.com if you don't believe me. It's really time to put these misconceptions aside. Organizations like Declassified, uh, along with YoJo and Joe Intel, uh, generalsjoes.com, they're about everything G.I. Joe. And that includes the toys, the history, the creators, the stories, uh, the, the forums, the threads, the mysteries and the collectors of G.I. Joe. So, here we go. I'll go first. Uh, my name is Gary Head. On the boards, I go by Gyre Viper. You might also hear people refer to me as Goggles. If you're at JoeCon and you see someone with Goggles, it's probably me. That or James is wandering around dressed up as Munisha. I grew up with G.I. Joe in the early 80s to early 90s, but I've only been full-on collecting since May 2009. Over the past almost three years now, I've become known for posting things either no one has ever seen before or things that just haven't been released yet. It's uh, something I very much enjoy being able to provide to the hobby as I love seeing people get excited and have big, crazy conversations about G.I. Joe. I just love sharing everything I come across uh, in hopes of registering somewhere on the 30-year-old zeitgeist strand that is G.I. Joe collecting. As for Declassified, it was more or less introduced to me through uh, Roshan, Josh. He uh, dragged me to Joe Con in Rhode Island, and through him I got to meet people in the community who I've come to consider mentors, really. They inspired me uh, even further and gave me good cause to put my collecting energy into overdrive. Mm. Instead of talking about what Declassified is, though... I'm going to talk about what Declassified is not. Joe Declassified is not for profit. Um, Joe Declassified is not the Joe Luminati. Joe Declassified is not a group of hyper-elitists bent on squirreling away rarities for bragging rights. Joe Declassified is not an asshole for not letting you take pictures at JoeCon of what's in the booth. That's what Declassified is not. Gary? Other Gary? Hi, I'm Gary Godso, a.k.a. Commander-in-Chief, or also known as the original Gary. You may remember me from such podcasts as M.Y.R. Movie Week in Review, The Cast, and What's on Joe Mind, the web's longest-running Joe-only podcast. I've been a long-time member of the G.I. Joe Collectors community, active both online and off. As a collector, I started collecting Joe toys and comics back in 82. 
I've been an active participant in the community since late 90s, despite a small respite during the uh, Sigma 6 area. While I can be found on most any place on the online community, I do serve on staff at YoJo, Joe Intel, Joe Declassified, Joe Battlelines, Coil Club, and General Joe's. It should be noted that I'm the only active forum member of Joe Sidings not to be an admin or a mod. I am a member of the official G.I. Joe Collectors Club and I've been to every JoeCon for the last 10 years and alleged loud club shill for the last 11. The classified to me is about the word care and that stands for camaraderie, archival, recovery, and education. Camaraderie is to let you know that you're not doing this alone. Before D-Class and this podcast, you were basically on your own if you wanted to dive deeper into the visible world of G.I. Joe. Archival is the pooling of resources of dozens of other collectors together to ensure that history of our hobby is properly and accurately documented and cataloged for other collectors to utilize. Recovery is the collecting of Joe artifacts off history's trash heap and making sure it's properly preserved as a resource. And education is collectors helping collectors peer past what is shrouded in secrecy, rumor, and innuendo to establish fact and legitimacy of our hobby. Phil? Hi, I'm Philip Donnelly. You might recognize me from such forums as yojo.com and yojo.com. I don't really stray too far from that. Uh, I have been collecting since early 1998, and that was kind of out of spite over the terribleness of the Stars and Stripes that, that was available at Toys R Us at the time. It was all about getting the figures as they were supposed to be, and it just kind of spiraled from there. Uh, nowadays, you'll see me posting lots of items into the archives of yojo.com. Practically everything I can get my hands on, I can put up online and try and show the world, which is what draws me to jodyclassify.com. They're all about you know, showing this kind of stuff off and keeping the community mm-hmm. informed. That's something that really rings true with me. Uh, that's all I got. <laughs> uh, Josh, Mr. Roshan. Josh Carlson, uh, Roshan on the Joe boards. I am the Xandar of the Joe uh, Declassified group, I guess. I'm pretty much everywhere, but nobody really remembers me <laughs> because I, I don't really speak up too much. I've been collecting since probably about 94 when I got back into it after getting out of high school. I uh, was on with the pit message boards to start and have pretty much been around everywhere ever since. Go to almost any con on North America. I write action figure collecting books that aren't G.I. Joe because members of this podcast do it a lot better. And that's pretty much it. That's all I got right now. Mr. Jared? Hi, my name is Jared Bennell. I'm also known as Jamin Stone across multiple Joe boards. Uh, I have the privilege of being an admin and figure designer on ProjectARaw.com. Uh, my first experience with the classified uh, was last year at my as I attended my first con in Orlando, and it was clear to me that the classified uh, valued the lineage of the line and also the preservation of the process of creating GI Joe. And uh, on to the uh, infamous Kevin Watts. I'm sorry, guys. I was in the middle of eating some chips. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Jared might need another take. <laughs> um, oh, I'm so hold on. These chips are really salty. I mean, it's 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 nuts. It's nuts how salty these chips are. Um, my name is Kevin. I've been collecting GI Joe for you know, 30 years. Uh, I've 
I've sold GI Joe at a bunch of conventions over the last few years, and I buy all ranges. I, I'm kind of into all types of different army building as well as pre-production. Oh, and Joe Declassified is a website owned by someone I know, and it, I've heard it's a cool website with a forum that no one visits. <laughs> okay, which <clears throat> which brings us to uh, Mr. James M. Kavanaugh Jr. Well, I'm a little taken back, and surprisingly, not from uh, Kevin. I uh, you, you ruined my costume there early on in your uh, introduction. Uh, now I have to figure out. I wasn't really too worried though. We'd be in, uh, people would get confused with uh, anybody seeing a guy in drag wearing goggles. No, um, all right. Well, then I'm James Cavanaugh. I'm the author of the RAC Guide. Uh, it's based on the second generation in 1997 to 2007 action figures. Uh, I go by Kukusan on online in general. Uh, obviously, that meaning all the G.I. Joe websites and try to circle around as much as I can. As far as the community goes, it's 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 funny that you, you know, this this conversation in itself is rather circular. I, mean, I was getting praise earlier from my guide and I want to circle back to it. I mean, I couldn't do it without Yojo. So, I mean, it's, I couldn't, I always try to stress that this is a team effort. I mean, uh, any which way you, you look at it. So it's great to have be, be here with everyone else. Uh, as far as what declassified means to me, I mean, well, just that. You know, it's teamwork. You know, it's 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 a great project to uh, support GI Joe and to you know learn more and to delve more into in all its aspects. It's a it's it's a sharing thing. You know, for those to you know not only share within the group, the declassified group, but then to bring it out to others that aren't aware of just how far. G.I. Joe really, you know, sprawled out and just, you know, the avenues that they have taken, chose not to have taken, could have taken. I mean, the, the, it really shows you that the possibilities are endless, and I can't get enough of it. So you guys are stuck with me. How about that? All right. Before you listen any further to this episode, you can find... The 16 images of the artwork for this unproduced playset concept that we will be talking about tonight on joedeclassified.com slash forum in the Joe Declassified Spec Ops podcast thread, as well as links to the images in all the respective Joe Declassified Spec Ops podcast threads across the forums. So right now, before you do anything else... Go over to jodeclassified.com slash forum in the podcast thread or go to His Tank, Joe Battlelines, Yojo, Joe Customs, Joe Canuck, etc. Find the show notes and there will be a link that will take you to these images. So you can pull up those images on your computer that our guest host has been more than kind enough to share with us tonight. And you can view them and listen and read along with us as we take this journey back in time to see what might have been. So go on. Go pull up those images then come back, and uh, we'll do this. And uh, that brings us to the uh, meat of tonight's episode as we rip open a hole in time and space and cast some light onto a rather large, unproduced G.I. Joe concept. And to take us on this particular adventure is the leading authority on said concept. Uh, welcome Chris Murray, a.k.a. Topson. Thanks, guys. Yeah, um... I've, I've been collecting G.I. Joe since about 95, you know, been playing with it since 82. Um, 
I started collecting prototypes in a, a 1998 when I bought my first one, and it kind of just, you know, downhill from there, I guess, when it comes to my pocketbook. I'm an, I'm an archaeologist, and I've just always loved history, and I've always loved, you know, the uh, to the archive of, of history. And I guess it has only made sense that I would take something I love like G.I. Joe and, and, and do the same thing with that. And I've been uh, researching G.I. Joe since about 2000, seriously. And uh, I, 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 love, I love the history of G.I. Joe. And I want to make sure we know everything about it before it's all gone type of thing. And I've been friends with Sam, you know, the owner and creator of the, the Joe to Classified website for years. And I've been uh, contributing to the booths uh, during the JoeCon so everybody can see stuff I've found. And uh, I've been uh, archiving my collection on, uh, on www.joeintel.com. So that's me. That's Gary. So, Chris, uh, what, what will you be sharing with us uh, this evening, uh, or rather with uh, the entire G.I. Joe community at large? Well, today we will be talking about the concept for the Cobra Island playset that was uh, canceled and not produced. Uh, this was a concept that was created in 1986 by Guy Cassidy. It's nothing like the comic book version of Cobra Island. This was the concept as Guy saw it because, well, he didn't read the comic. He didn't even know about it, but they were all talking about uh play sets and designs and things to create for the next, you know, upcoming year type of thing, uh, all the Hasbro people. And uh, he uh, came up with the idea of a Cobra Island. And basically his version of Cobra Island was more like a James Bond villain's island lair, where it'd just be this large, rocky crag sticking up out of the ocean type of thing. And um, so that's kind of how the... Uh, his concept for Cobra Island uh, came about. Tell us a little about uh, uh, its creator, Guy Cassidy, and uh, how long he worked for Hasbro, what other projects he worked on. Um. Well, uh, Guy Cassidy started working for uh, Hasbro in 1985. And uh, in 85, two of his vehicles that he designed uh, were actually, I'm sorry, in 86. He started working in 85, but... Uh, in 86, his first vehicles were produced, and that was the uh, Conquest, as well as he designed uh, the uh, Air Chariot for Serpentor. And um, Guy Cassidy was there, I'm, I'm sorry to say, but I believe he was there until 1989. I'm, I'm not positive. But uh, he was responsible for the development of, uh, of vehicles such as the Mobile Command Center, Persuader, the Skystorm, uh, the Rolling Thunder, the Coastal Defender, and he actually even created the uh, concept and the vehicles for the uh, Battle Force 2000 vehicles. And an interesting note on the Battle Force 2000 vehicles is those were costed down drastically. His original concept had a lot more detail and a lot more interesting things about it so that they actually did snap together and make a battle set, a battle set. It was a lot cooler for what he developed. And yeah, just a follow-up comment on Guy as well, and, and one of the reasons why we're, we're looking at really hyper-detailed drawings is originally he wanted a job in the uh, auto industry, and that's kind of where his strength was. And then he came here to the toy industry, which my understanding it was really wasn't his first choice of where to, really what he wanted to do. 
but he was able to apply his skill, uh, which is very detailed design and drawings, uh, into some um, really accurate uh, documentation to, to make these toys. Uh, he was really known for uh, making a, a very, very detailed uh, tooling on items such as like hubcaps on, on the Persuader, uh, which are the, the, the tread hubs on the Persuader. Uh, so that's one of the things that uh, Guy is really uh, known for that, that I've learned about at least, and it, it definitely shows in the Cobra Island drawings that we're looking at here. Guy, like most designers, had a shitload of concepts that didn't quite make it. So, like, he came out with the Conquest, but I don't remember if he had anything else out from 86. In 87, he had obviously the Persuader, and uh, and he worked on the suspension for the Defiant, like because because Guy was known for making really really large vehicles, like all the stuff like most of the vehicles that he was best known for, like the Mobile Command Center and the Rolling Thunder and the General. Those were all like the large flagship kind of vehicles for that year. What year was this? Uh, was this concept sort of uh, brought forth? Considering what is it normally about a one year turnaround, if not more. It's, it, it's, it's, you know, between a year and two years turnaround. And this, this was a 1986 concept. Uh, and approximately how large would this place that have been? This, this would have been a big one. It, uh, when, when, when it was closed up, basically this place set was, uh, it, it looked like a barren rock, like mountaintop almost sticking out of the water. Is that kind of how it was envisioned, but it would open up in, to kind of a starfish pattern, like five arms would fold down to reveal the playset inside, and each arm would have a component, a play, a, a different playability aspect to it. Um, one thing I do want to ask: um, Can we speculate on probably what the price point on this would have been? And it looks to me that he did try to build some cost savings in by using some existing toolings from some other set. Is it anything? Anything on that? This this would have been you know a, a signature item for for 1988. It, it it would have it would have been a high price point. You know it would have been you know the Terradrome of 1988. Um, I mean this thing was huge. It, it was two foot tall when closed up, and when it opened up, it would have been almost six foot in diameter. So it 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 was basically it was going to be uh, a signature item type of thing where uh it was is it was, it was almost a is an item that you know they didn't even expect to really make that much money on it was it would have been one of the places that's like the flag where you know it gets kids and parents into the store where they want you know the kids are you know i want a cobra island or i want a flag it's the enabler <laughs> right so the parents get into the, the store and then they see this you know hundred plus hundred plus dollar item on the shelf and instead of buying that they buy them four action figures and three small vehicles you know so it's it, it's one of those things where it, it may not have you know made them a lot of money but it would have made it would have made a lot of sales. What well, did they? Were they going to use an exist, existing tooling from other previous sets, uh, like the crane, for instance? Looks like it possibly came off the uh, tactical battle platform. Some of the uh, computer screens and consoles looks like they came from other sets. So was that part of the plan, or was everything all new, one hundred percent all new on this thing? I, I you know, it, it, it's I can't be positive, and, and the aspect that it was. Yeah, you're like you said. You're right. They did use existing vehicles, you know, for these uh, 
for these sketches. And uh, for the uh, prototype model that was created, they did as well. But they might have, you know, it, it was too, it was still too early for, I guess, for them to, you know, not make something new. You know, at the time, I think Guy used existing stuff because it was what was easy to uh, portray and it probably would have been easier for him to to sell it to, you know, management for having them make such a large detailed vehicle because it would have said, look how we can save money by using these existing parts. This sounds absolutely amazing. Now, li listening to this is just absolutely fascinating. Um, did Guy ever add, did Guy ever tell you just how far into production this got? Just, I mean, just out of curiosity, did he, I mean, did it actually have some legs and Hasbro's eyes, or did it just one of his, you know, many drawings that just show and show and they say no, you know? Yeah, no, this, uh, that's a good question. These, this actually got to the modeling stage. There, there was a model made, so it, it, it was a large two-foot-tall model. Uh, I know there's presentation art, and I know there are some other sketches, that type of thing, but uh, it was eventually shelved, and uh, Guy's recollection was that it was most likely due to the high cost of manufacture. Makes sense. Okay, so you say that the, you know, the, the comic book really had nothing to do with the design, and it was Guy's idea. Now, following up on what James, James said on how far along it went into production before it was pulled, could marketing have almost gotten to the point where, where Hama would have been told uh, this might be coming down the pipe, and if you look at 1988, in the summer of 1988, issues 73 through 77, where they have the Civil War on Cobra Island, pretty much the entire run of that year focused on the island itself, and most of the conflict was, was, was there. So would, would Larry possibly have known ahead of time that far in to plan for this, and that, even though it got canceled, made its way towards the comic? Well, I mean, that's the question. I mean, would Larry have known two years in advance what he was going to be writing about? You know, uh, I mean, I know that Hasbro had a lot of influence on Marvel, and Marvel in turn had a lot of influence on Hasbro, but I kind of always remembered it as being Hasbro would let Marvel know what they're doing and what they need them to write into the comic so it would sell the toy. And I don't know if they had that that much advanced knowledge because, I mean, we're talking about two years in advance. You know, with the uh, Sunbow movie, uh, we're talking to Buzz Dixon, and he said that he was handed a list of and some concepts of what he needed to put into the Sunbow movie. Uh, of course, we're talking animation, so he's way out from when this thing's coming. All and, and we were told that all of uh, the everything you saw in the movie was going to be a toy at one point. Even Pythona, even Big Lob, uh, all those were going to be a toy at some point. So it's it's conceivable, but it's just 100 percent pure speculation that maybe Hammond probably knew something about this. But Cobra Island has been around prior to that co that uh, Civil War, so even for a Cobra Island playset to come out. You know, Hama probably didn't know anything about it because Cobra Island was already in existence in the comic by that point. So it, it's six and one half dozen other. It can go either way, but I've seen cases of designers, uh, at least for the cartoon, knowing way in advance what's coming out. And then obviously we didn't see those toys. Uh, and, and in this case, Cobra Island already in existence and we didn't see this toy either. So I was just going to say real quick that I would guess, I would speculate Hama probably wrote his story back in 88. He probably wrote it no more than eight months in advance. 
So that would be right around the point point time where you'd have to, you know, any communication would go in. Yeah, I, I really think, you know, with all this, you know, there's a lot of speculation, but I really think that Guy's recollection recollection is, you know, is the most accurate one in the aspect that, that the reason the toy was canceled was its high cost point. And the sheer size of the item, I mean, this would have been the next flag. Was there any talk when you were talking with Guy about this, about maybe this, obviously the set, this size back in the day was probably going to come with a figure and just about every set did. Guy had nothing to do with figures. Like, he, he didn't... Right. Yeah, I know that. I mean, like, but I mean, like, beyond nothing. It was almost like they kept the two of them... Like, he didn't even give a shit about figures. Like, even, like, even when he draws... Like, I have artwork of his where he draws figures on it, and he, like, it, it, it doesn't resemble anything. You've, it's not like he even took a figure and said, wow, I'm going to use this figure as a model to do that. No, he just, like, drew, like, a human being in an oddball helmet. You know, what would have come out that year, what would have been designed in 86 that might have actually gone with it, but that's obviously hugely and largely speculative, so I'll ignore that. It's pretty much standard back in the day that a figure would come with uh, just about every type of place that they came out. Uh, being few exceptions here and there. Yeah, and, and, and that's a question that I really can't answer. Guy Cassidy was a vehicle designer that had very little to absolutely no input with, with the actual figures. And in all honesty, this, this concept did not get that far along. It just was in the early rough you know, 2D stages of uh, model development before it was canceled. So I don't even know if they got to the point in the creation process of, dis- of figuring out a figure for it. Chris, why don't you take us on the uh, grand tour of uh, these images and this giant unproduced playset and all its wonderful features and what have you. All right. Well, um, so these these sketches are, are a concept proposal, basically, for the Cobra Island. There would have been some other art. There would have been like a color presentation uh, painting for it to kind of help get the idea sold. And then they, at that point, when he would have started making these uh, these sketches to kind of show all all the details that would have gone into making the toy. So basically, like I stated earlier, this was a a, a, a mountaintop, like like the, uh, like a mountain that would have uh, been sticking out of the water and uh, the toy itself would have been two foot tall when closed up and it would have had a base about two foot wide and when it opened up and the five arms folded out to expose the place the playset inside it would have been roughly six foot in diameter each of those arms that folded down had a, a play a, a component about it, a playability component that was unique uh, one of them would have been a helipad there would have been an aircraft platform, an, I'm sorry, an anti-aircraft platform, a missile turret platform, a radar platform, and then a big gun uh, turret platform. And these sketches kind of basically show that. These are, you know, what you know what I'm showing and sharing are just some of the sketches. There are quite a bit more, but most of them were just kind of like a detail showing a wall or a door, or a, just, you know, smaller aspects like that, so I didn't feel like we needed to just show them all. But uh, the first sketch that I got there is uh, how the playset would look, basically kind of uh, already folded up, you know, still kind of in mountain form. And this sketch was uh, given to me by Guy uh, in about 2007. This was not an original sketch, 
but he didn't have, there were no sketches of the island folded up. So he wanted to make sure that I could visualize it correctly. And that's why he made this. It's, it's, you know, it, I think it does a very good job. It's a really cool sketch. The second sketch is basically showing uh, the first level of, of the playset, the, the base level. And it, it basically, when all the arms went down, you, you would there would be three levels. There'd be three levels within this playset, and this was kind of like a would be the base, the, you know, the computer consoles and you know different components and gadgets. And this first level basically uh, shows where the elevator uh, would have been and how it would have been in, enclosed in kind of a, like a fake mountain. And on top of that elevator shaft, which would have been in basically the uh, near the top of the actual playset, there was a uh, a missile rack that would telescope out so it'd be taller than the rest of the playset. Uh, what's cool is on, the, on the, the next sketch, you see that that missile rack is basically the missile rack that was on the flag. On that first sketch, on the base, you basically see the anchor points of where the, ar the arms that fold down would have attached. You can see the, uh, the consoles, where all the consoles would attach, the chairs would attach. So you'd kind of get an idea of that first floor playability. Sketch, you know, number three is, is, is that missile rack that I was talking about. And as you can see, that basically would have been, you know, a cost-saving me measure of reusing our, an already existing uh, tooled item. So this, the, the molds are already made for this. So it would it would drastically cut down on the overall cost of this playset. And that's probably why he used the concept for the flag missile launcher. And for that matter, it's a cool missile launcher. I mean, those are large missiles, and it has a cool look. Sketch was sketch number four, number four. Uh, that was the gel cell, and this is one of the only two play features really that would be visible on the outside of the island. I mean, the outside of it. The when the island was closed up, when all the arms were up, this would be visible. And one of the cool things about it is, that, you know, it, it opened up and it came out, so you could put a figure in it. But when you pulled it out. It had a spring-activated trap door, so that would bust off. So you could have your the the, the GI Joe character basically escape from jail, kind of like a, a similar, I guess, similar to the spring activation, like on the uh, Cobra Headquarters version two that came out, where they had the jail cell was on the exterior wall, and if you hit it just you know your missile launcher just right, it bust open, and the Cobra character could get out. I guess it's, you know you could kind of think of it as the same type of thing. So there's a lot of detail. You know, you know, two movable features. You know, I think I, I'm not positive, but I don't. The, I think the whole cell could kind of slide out, but not like all the way out. Just slide out enough so that way the trap door would pop off. Do you know if there is anything on the interior of the jail that we don't see in the sketches? I mean, the 82 HQ had two beds in there, and the 92 HQ had a sink. That, um, just wondering what we can't see. If you have any idea about that. Yeah, I don't actually have any other sketches that would show anything like that. But from the way this looks and the way it was designed, I believe it was just like an, a, a box attached to the side of the mountain. I don't think it opened up and you could like, you know, put the figure on a bed, wash his hands in a sink or whatever. I think it was just a box that you could put a figure in and shut the door and open it up and pull it back out type of thing. So kind of like the mobile command center's jail cell, pretty blank inside. Yeah, that's probably right. And once again, Guy uh, designed that. That's, you know, 
the mobile command center is, is a vehicle that Guy Cassie designed. Inspired by a uh, fishing toolbox, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it was something very similar to that. It was actually, I mean, since we're talking about it, it was actually a, uh, a concept that Hasbro bought the rights from, from a, uh, an inventor or a designer, I guess, from England. And uh, the way Guy described the original vehicle, it was kind of like a turtle that would open up. And uh, Guy's job was to take that concept and make it to something that would be more usable and G.I. Joe related. So and, and a lot of his inspiration came from a tackle box. But, but that actual opening mechanism was a, a design that they bought from someone out of England. That's a riot. This next sketch, number five, is of the torpedo rack. And, I mean, it's pretty simple. It's just, it's what it is. It was just a torpedo launcher. It would have come with uh, two torpedoes, and it basically, uh, I believe it was supposed to be spring-loaded, and you could pull it, you know, pull it out to load it, push it back in type of thing. But, I mean, it's as simple as that. It's just another play feature that was available. You know, I just I just love this feature. I, it, I love this popped-out <laughs> torpedo, and... This is just one of the examples that that I think makes this whole playset quintessentially GI Joe. Um, there's just a lot of detail in, in these uh, these drawings that really makes this. You know, I can imagine this being in my collection. You know, I just I think this is such a great little detail with this thing. Well, I think one of the cool things about it actually is it's pretty much the only feature on this entire playset that tells you it's an island. I mean, it, this could have been a mountaintop, or, or you know, or you know, something like that. It just there's no boats, there's no landing dock, there's nothing, more or less. It's just a torpedo. All right, uh, this next sketch, number six, is of the second floor. It, it basically was going to be a crane. That was the one that came from the tactical battle platform. Uh, you can see the elevator shaft behind it. That's what that square is that's holding up the next floor above it. And uh, a computer console. Uh, not much going for it, but it would have been a cool feature just to have that crane. It, it would swing around, I guess, and like, you know, pick stuff up. Stuff. Hey, you mentioned the elevator shaft for the first time. Um was there going to be some play feature on that that had a string to pull the car up, or would the car just, you know, be able to, by friction, uh, stay at the level that you wanted it on, and you move it up and down by hand? Did he talk anything about that? You know, he, he never actually talked about it, and there are no sketches uh, dealing with it. You know, this sketch here and uh, the, the, the very first one are pretty much the only places that even really have it. I think it was a friction device because there's no uh, sketches of where, like, like for the crane, for example, you know, it actually has an ex exploded view, and we'll see that sketch later. You're showing where the string went and stuff like that, and there was no like exploded view or anything like that showing the mechanism for the uh, elevator. So I think it was more of a friction rather than a string. Also on the uh, elevator shaft, um, is it possible that the 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 girders that are surrounding the shaft looks very reminiscent to the girders that were inside the flag. Would that be another possible reuse of tooling, or is it, are we talking something totally different in scale? I think this was smaller. Okay. 
Yeah, I think that was just simply him drawing a girder and, and, and not so much of specifically the flag under decking. So seven, that's the other side of the second floor. So you can kind of see where the, uh, there's a circle, so you'd see where the crane was going to be, while on the other side behind the crane was that radar station thing. It was, you know, basically looks just like the thing that was on the flag. But it, it shows the pit console that's on the first floor that the first drawing didn't show. The first drawing just showed kind of where the placement would be. Pork chop sandwiches! Right, Gary, you can handle all this? Uh, technically no, but officially yes. one's the crane which is on the second floor and that's what i was talking about you know it 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 shows the expanded view and you know the it, it's a it's a nice technical drawing and you know it's cool it's one of my favorite but the, the main reason i like it is because of that little caricature you know underneath it where it says hey buddy nice crane is the basically the reason i love that so much is it kind of shows the camaraderie and then just you know how you know, kind of like how much fun it might have been working at Hasbro back in the 80s. You know, basically that drawing was done by Bill Young, who was a fellow designer uh, working on G.I. Joe. And Guy told me that he would come to his office, you know, come back to his office or his desk or whatever, and he'd find sketches like that all in his stuff all the time. Or he would be, you know, giving a presentation for something, and he'd pull the, turn the page to show the next one, and there'd be this little cartoon drawing of a dude saying, hey, buddy, nice crane. You know, it just kind of shows how much fun these guys had working on this stuff. That's why I really like this sketch. So, Chris, I just have a quick question here. So, you know, I'm looking here at my uh, my tactical battle platform, and the crane is substantially different than the one that's depicted here. So, was guy was he drawing this stuff knowing that it, you know if this got made that they were just going to use the old crane in any way? And I mean, is that kind of no. what he had in mind? No, I mean. And basically, you know, you, they, they would do work knowing the idea. They try to keep in mind that, you know, you, you can reuse molds. I mean, that's still done today. That's, you know, common knowledge. But at the same time, you know, he is a vehicle designer. This is his work. This is his vision. So, you know, of course he's going to, to create his own thing. But, you know, there's always knowledge that, you know, this particular item could be replaced with something that already exists. But basically, the concept is the same as what was on the Tactical Battle Platform. Have you seen other playset um, concept sketches like these uh, or something comparable to what this is? Or is this pretty much sort of what you've seen as far as uh, concepts go for uh, for larger playsets? And how does it, if you have seen others, how does it sort of compare? The only thing I've, other thing I've ever seen is the uh, train set. And that, because I was shown at the con yeah. in Kansas City. And it that was more of a... Of a, a true cost, you know, input drawing where everything was broke down and each piece was divided, you know, each piece was listed so they could basically sit there and say, we need to make six guns, we need to make, you know, a one wall, two doors, that type of thing, and figure this will cost X amount of money. While this was more of a proposal sketch to show the different play features to kind of then figure out how to build it. Okay. So, I mean, I, I haven't seen any other type of art really to to compare this to, which I'm sorry to say. I, looking at this from a historical perspective, I don't really necessarily think that this would be would have been too expensive of a concept to bring to production compared to the past. It's just more of a, looking at it, looking at it from 1987 to 1988, well, before 1987 actually, there was a 
slow buildup in size of vehicles. Now, the flag was big, but the Defiant really was more expensive to build even than the flag. Looking at the other lines you know, that were big at the time, you had a Turnia playset in 1986, which was massive. You had Fortress Maximus in 87. All these lines pretty much stopped making bigger and bigger and bigger playsets after 87. You had failed concepts in Transformers with Unicron that didn't come to pass because it was too, it was bigger and more expensive than before. Gigantosaur with He-Man. And I think this is just more a sign of the times than it was too expensive for what they'd done before. Deep in the jungle, you discover it's a Cobra launch base with gun emplacements almost everywhere. Page nine. So that's the third floor. This basically would have been the, the, the top of the playset. So you have a hatch to get basically from the second floor to the third floor. There's like a radar dish. There is a clear dome. And the thing is, actually, the elevator would go up. That was, that's where the elevator was. So I think the figure would be standing on the platform and can like would go up to the third floor and be in that clear dome, like an observation dome or something. That's and, and then you got a gun. So, yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of different features and a lot of different ways to enjoy this toy. And I think that's kind of cool. So basically, all this, everything we were talking about before and all those other sketches were the interior of the island. Where they all consisted of the of the interior uh, platforms and the, the interior playset, basically. So everything else now is uh, the actual arms that fold down and the and the play and the and the features that you know you know that's involved with them. So um, the next sketch shows how the island opened up, and you can see how all five arms fold out, and you see the placement of where each arm was supposed to be. Basically, just kind of shows how everything worked. And the, and the cool thing about all these other sketches now is that each one of these features uh, would have folded in on themselves, so they'd become compact. So when it folded in. It, it would basically be almost like a flat surface. So, like, the anti-aircraft gun would retract and, uh, into itself the same way with the, the missile platform would fold down into the base. The radar dish, radar platform is the same way. It would lay flat up against the base when it was, uh, when it was folded up, but when you opened it up and retracted it, it you, would fo- you would stand it up. And all the and all the dishes would move. Turret platform would flip over and then be on itself. So you, you had a movable component on every one of these arms. So it wasn't it wasn't a static playset. It, it actually had movement and it made it more interactive. And I thought that was a cool aspect about it. But it also made it once more expensive because there's now more parts and and more engineering. So that was probably another reason that helped kill this toy from ever actually happening. So, this sketch, this sketch number ten here, is basically showing how all the arms would be opened, and showing where specifically where each one was going to go, and then uh, all the sketches that follow are just the component, the actual play component on each of those arms. All right, moving on. So basically, uh, the next sketch is uh, how how guy had these all numbered one through five on his original drawing. So I just you know. For the sake of doing it the same, I have them in that same order. So, you know, the next sketch, the next two sketches are for the uh, anti-aircraft gun. It just basically shows what it would look like if it was retracted, and then the other one is what it looked like if it was in battle position. And a, a cool concept that on this is, uh, well, in all these sketches, on the 
left-hand side, you basically see where the hinge would have been connected. That's what that like that bulge is on the on the top and the bottom of, of each part of the platform on the sketch. But um, on the next one, on the on sketch 12, it shows the uh, anti-aircraft platform in battle position. What's kind of cool about that is Guy, when he did it, didn't notice it, but, and, you know, 20 years later, he drew the plat- He drew the gun backwards. It's actually aimed towards the interior of the island, and, you know, you, it, it, it wouldn't have swept yeah. around, so it actually, you would have only been able to shoot, you know, the Cobras if that had been play- created the way he had designed it originally. The uh, equivalent of pissing in your own face. Exactly. So then the, the next arm, the next platform would have been the, the missile turret. And those missiles, you know, so it's, it's in battle position right now, but those missiles would have basically folded back and aimed straight up. And then that entire platform is on a pivot and it would slide down into it, fold down into the base. So that's how it'd be flush. And then behind the guy in typical uh, G.I. Joe fashion, is where he would have sit to launch the missile. So typically, you know, with all the other vehicles, the, the backblast from the, mi- the missiles launching would have fried the guy, just like in all the other vehicles. Yeah, Nobody thinks of that. I do. <laughs> <laughs> but um, there's a lot of just the detail in the in the platform itself. I mean, there's only, you know, basically, you know, the two movable parts on this platform Yet, you know, there's, like, fans, you know, molded into it and all this decking, and it just, it, it just a, a really nice piece of engineered plastic is what it would have been. So the, the, next, the next arm, the next platform was going to be the radar platform. This one is a little cool because that, arm, that, that radar station is, is anchored at the end of the arm, so it would pivot up and... There are actually uh, the round dish on top would have been, would have been mounted. It wouldn't have moved. But there are two swivels. The, the two little dishes on each side would have spun around, uh, kind of like the one that was on the flag. How that had those those two little ones. But this also had two missile launchers on it as well. And the missile launchers would have swiveled. They would have gone 360 degree circle. So it. it I mean, it's something as boring as a radar dish, but there's still something on that platform for the kids to play with. Something to do. I really like that. What the hell? James, mute your mic. James is in the house, everyone. And that was the. <laughs> oh my god, Wait. that was great. <laughs> Wasn't James supposed to be on the podcast with us tonight? All right, all right. So what 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 sketch were we on? Number thirty three. <laughs> no, fifteen. <laughs> I thought we were on thirteen. Um, so you guys ready to move on to the last two? Sure. The next one, uh, sketch fifteen, uh, is of the uh, the turret platform with the turret in the battle position. And this basically was like a, a double-barreled tank turret um, that could would, would raise up or lower down within that that, that that arm, that platform. And, and it also had two uh, 
areas for uh, figures with uh, automatic machine guns mounted, swivel mounted on it. So it could, it, it just basically allowed for, you know, more figures to, to play. And it had a lot of detail on the, on the platform itself. That turret would have been, I'm trying to judge scale right now, but pretty damn big, the, the, the barrels on that gun. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of wondering if the, those barrels would have been right off the Terradrome. No, they wouldn't have, because I have the exploded view of the turret, and, you know, a, a, a figure would not have fit in it. It would have raised up and down. Uh, the the guns were independent. They were not actually, like, together as two separate guns. So oh, wow. It's like a battleship gun. Cool. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, this, you know these aren't 100% to scale, but if you look at it, those, those barrels probably would have been five inches, five and a half inches long. Wow. It actually kind of reminds me of the big gun that's mounted on the back of the Rolling Thunder. Which, again, is a vehicle that uh, Guy Cassidy designed. So that would make a lot of sense. Man, you could man the hell out of this thing. You know? You could fit so many Cobra Troopers across this whole base. It would have been so amazing. The design was really ingenious. Every time I look at it, I think of some of those old Mego play sets. That, uh, that that they would have like that folded out of like a like a like a carrying case or something, but it would just give you so much play value for for you know for one piece, and uh, and it just uh, I don't know I think I think it would have been a fantastic I, it would have definitely been a piece that that all of us would remember as fondly as we do any of the other large scale pieces in the line. So it would be it, it's it's kind of a it's one of those things where it's so nice to see. Like, all right, this was all planned. We were going to do this. We were going to do this. Then it's almost like, wow, what could have been? Like, how yeah. much fun would each of us have had taking that into our backyard and unfolding it and just just putting figures all over the place and, and having, you know, dudes crawl up and, 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 and attack it and all. Man, it would have been pretty awesome. Well, like, and it's, the, it's, it's, a, it's an awesome piece. The fact that it even just turns into a mountain. I mean, the, the I, mean I, I remember just making my own sort of – uh, wilderness slash camouflage slash, slash mountain type bases and have this like kind of like the Boulder Hill from Mask but minus the gas station. Um, I was thinking the same thing, dude. Like the Boulder Hill play. Every time I looked at those sketches, I kept thinking of the old Boulder Hill place that with the boulder on top that would roll off and like the rock sides yeah. and whatnot. Like you know, it, it's it's very it's in my mind it was very similar and it, it's in the same kind of vein. Oh, I, I know they said it's very similar. To it is the, the Masters of the Universe, Masters of the Universe Nordor playset from uh, New Adventures. It was basically this rock ball that opened up on all four sides with all these compartments and things that went with it too, but just on a much smaller scale than this would have been. I mean, I mean, I kind of imagined this as a kid would have been with those things where if I played with it as an island, then I could have used my whale and the uh, hydrofoil and you know f- finally be able to play with all those you know nautical vehicles but at the same time i could see this you know as a kid just imagining it being a mountain and just putting that in the backyard and you know and having all your vehicles your you know my my you know your mauler and stuff driving up against it and attacking it so i i really to me this is a lot more versatile than some of the other play, play you know the other play sets yeah that's a good point i mean with the defiant there's really only so much you can do with that playset. you know it doesn't move around really um you know, the shuttles take off, you can land them, I guess you can put them back on. There's not, you know, there's really, there's not as much playability in something like, as as in something like this would have been. I mean, this, you're, you're right, you could have used this on land, you could have used this on sea, it would have been, you know, I think the play play value of it 
would far exceed something like the Defiant. Yeah, and you know, like I keep kind of in my mind comparing it to a Terradrome. And to me, this is so much better than Terradrome because of the Terradrome, you know, it had all those different bays and compartments, but they were all the same pretty much. Well, this has each one's unique and different. That's yeah, I agree. I like it so much more. All right, we're, we're on the last one, guys. This oh. was, you know, kind of one of the most important ones. It's the most boring and it's the blandest, but it was the helipad. Um, you know, and it's one thing I like, one thing about it is if at the end of the helipad, you know, it, it has the stair, so it kind of makes it the defunct uh, docking station for your boat. That's so you cool. You know, it's kind of like the dock. Yeah. But this also was double hinged because the helipad itself was the top of the mountain. Of the, of the island so the arm would fold up and then that helipad would fold over again and that would you know encase the entire thing in stone so you could it would look just like a you know a rock mountain like a, a mountain island the scale makes it seem like it's small but you know i, I think that would have fit pretty much any of the helicopter vehicles for both gi joe or cobra well I know we talked earlier about, oh, would this have come with a figure? But with a helipad, it makes me wonder, would it have come with maybe a smaller vehicle like a helicopter? I don't think so because when you think of it as when it's closed up, there would have been no room basically for that. That's true. So, I mean, that's basically, you know, the place set in a hole. There, there are a bunch more sketches that kind of show the uh, exploded view for each of the components and uh, for each of those you know, platforms. Uh, you know, there's a lot more drawings of the interior that's just pretty much, you know, a wall, a dorsal view, a wall, you know, other view. It, it, it you know, they're, they're not really like, you know, wow, I'm so glad, you know, I saw that. But at the same time, it just kind of really fleshes out the idea and finishes it and you know i'm bringing these sketches to con this year so uh you can basically come to the declassified booth and see all the sketches and see all, everything that you would have possibly gotten if you had this place that had been created um well why don't we start with the first sketch and go through them one more time and make sure we didn't miss anything <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh my god and that's uh, Cobra Island in a little more than a nutshell. Uh, thank you, Chris Murray, for A, showing it. I mean, that being willing to show that is amazing. And B, for uh, being able to give us that much insight into something that had other people sort of stumbled across it without having known Guy Cassidy. We might not know much about it at all. Um, so thank you for that. And uh, now on to uh, Gary Godso, who's going to take us through the... Uh, the recent retaliation reveals um, pre-Toy Fair. And uh, take it away, Gary. Yeah, back on February 1st, uh, USA Today's Brian Truitt revealed the first nine Movie 2 figures uh, for USA Today. And this included Roadblock with possible PERMA-attached weapons, Cobra Commander, Cobra Trooper, Duke, G.I. Joe Trooper, Red Ninja, Snake Eyes, Storm Shadow, and Zartan. The very next day, we got a series of three Alpha Vehicle motorcycles, uh, which was a Ninja Speed Cycle with Snake Eyes, Road Retaliator with Flint, Wheel Blaster Bike with Firefly, which is the, the bike we saw on the trailer. 
Uh, we also saw picks of Bravo vehicles, including a water moccasin repaint called the Cobra Fang Boat that comes with a Swamp Viper, uh, a retooled ver- excuse me, a retooled version of the Hiss Scout. This time with a roll cage enclosure and non-functioning treads. This time it's called the GI Joe Tread Ripper Tank with clutch, a retooled Pock Hiss Tank. Excuse me, I should say Pursuit of Cobra. Uh, his tank, uh, this time with non-functioning treads, a repainted uh, Pursuit of Cobra Vamp and Awe Striker called the Ninja Combat Cruiser and Ninja Commando 4x4 with Snake Eyes, respectively, and a newly tooled transport jet called the Ghost Hawk 2 that includes Duke. The biggest news coming out of all this is the reduction of uh, articulation in a lot of these figures. And then also the, the perma-placed weapons that will be with Broblock. So I turn it back over to the rest of the panel. Kind of what your thoughts on all this. Uh, step backwards, or excuse me, as a step backwards. Um, can you see anything good out of this? So back to you guys. Um, I, I, I think it's a huge step backwards. I, um, I actually have trouble getting over the articulation thing without uh, sounding, like a, sounding like I'm whining. I literally don't. I understand that this is geared at the kids, pushed at the kids. Um, I just think that articulation is probably the last thing that should ever go on a G.I. Joe before anything else that you could possibly do to save money, be it packaging, be it number of figures, whatever it takes. I think articulation should have been the last thing to go. Um, If it turns out it was the last thing to go, uh, then I guess it had to go, but I just don't see that because some of these things are highly detailed. Some of these things are actually really cool and i i i just don't i don't like that i don't like all of it um and that it's because of the articulation because with the articulation even the sort of lower points here i um i don't know i i just it's really hard for me to get over considering how much i do like um that the articulation has uh has obviously suffered um i know some people are saying these are pre-production images these are mock-ups things are photoshopped but honestly, the uh, the things fused to Roadblock's hands tell me everything. If, if those are fused to his hands, then the articulation is gone. I mean, one just sort of sets up the other. I don't, I don't, I don't know how any, how no one else can see that. I just think with the loss of the treads and those things fused to Roadblock's hands, obviously everything we're seeing here is probably really close to what we're getting. Um, so yeah, I have a I have a huge problem with it. That's not why I like GI Joe. For a lot of reasons, but even when I was younger, it was the articulation and what separated it from everything else. And yeah, I get it. It's geared at kids, but I just, I don't know. I just, I even though it's a film line, I can't get over it. That's all I got. Well, I can jump in then, dude. I, uh, no, I think, I think Gary touched on it. I mean, one thing that's intrinsic to G.I. Joe as a whole is this idea of articulation. I mean, going back to the 60s, where the figures were, were I, I mean, you can pick up a 60s doll and it's more articulated even in its form than it is some of the figures that we're getting today with, with what we think are like hyper crazy fucking articulation. So, you know, like, so seeing them kind of retrofitted or devolved back to like these five points of, of Star Wars figure, old school Kenner articulation is, is kind of ridiculous. I mean, but... Well, let me... Uh, same- let me- Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but let me be clear on on there was a uh, Q&A, the last round of Q&A or two rounds ago. It was uh, JBL got an answer on um, articulation. 
and basically Hasbro said where there will be needed added articulation, there will be added articulation on the characters that don't need to have added articulation will not have added articulation. So it sounds to me, if I read between the lines, that your ninjas and that type of thing will have all the articulation we like, but if you're a vehicle driver, you're going to have limited articulation. Um, I know that doesn't sit well, but does that doesn't make it any better to you? No, I mean to be well. I mean, hold on. I, I wasn't. I kind of wasn't finished getting to my point, which was, you know, I can understand where where this idea of articulation is intrinsic to GI Joe as a whole, and I can understand why people would be upset that, like, hey man, I'm spending all this money on a vehicle, and the and and the amount of money I'm spending is increasing every six months or a year, you know, uh, but. But then to get back to your point, which is what I would have gotten to eventually, which was, well, they are just vehicle drivers. Does it really matter if the 70th Snake Eyes figure that you own only has five points of articulation? You know, I kind of understand where this idea that, like, all right, G.I. Joe is an articulated, is a well articulated figure. He's a man of action. He can do all this kind of crazy stuff. So throwing a figure in that doesn't do that, I mean, come on, look at how many people complained about G.I. Joe extreme to this day yeah being inarticulated blobs of crap you know but at the same time you know i can understand what you're saying gary where you're kind of like well these are just going to be vehicle drivers do you really need them to be this 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 and that i think it's less of a do you need them and more of a well you're kind of taking gi joe into a a a devolved direction. You're taking it backwards instead of forwards. You know, like Gary was saying, like, well, everything should have been should have been sacrificed before that. Would any of us? Well, we probably would have complained, but we would have, would we have complained as much if you know, say that Ninja Awe Striker came with a Snake Eyes figure that we've already had four times that they just recast again, rather than spending the money to cast a whole new figure with five points of articulation. Well, that's no. I, I would have been okay with that because I, I'd still understand this film and its toys are not really geared at me. I know they're for the kids. I know they're for the film. I know they're for a, a broader audience. So if we get a repaint or something we've seen before, I expect that. What I don't expect is this articulation problem. Like I just don't. I just – I never could have predicted that this was going to be – where we were. Well, I think I, I think Hasbro was actually trying to tell us the truth in the Q and A's. I don't think anyone was anticipating though a step back in articulation. Everyone's like, okay, they're probably going to use existing tooling with the existing articulation. They're not going to add anything to it. No one in their right mind thought they would be going backwards. Well, in that statement. I don't think it talks about the carded figures versus the vehicle drivers. I think that statement's only about the vehicle drivers because if you look, the ve- the figures that go like in the Jeep, you know, they, they're like Star Wars figures, five point, but the motorcycle drivers are seven point because their knees bend. I think that's well, maybe even some of the single single packs have limited articulation where they don't have the double jointed knees anymore. Oh, I didn't notice that. And and then there's weird stuff like the uh, the snake eyes with the 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 clear blue, the translucent blue glider. So much is photoshopped in that picture. If you look at like, I mean, it looks like it to me on my screen. That if you look at the uh, like his shins on one on one picture, it looks like his feet might bend. On another one, it looks like they just made it look like it has a a joint like. A place to bend. Like, I can't even tell with some of these what's going on. So I understand people saying, oh, these are all Photoshop, whatever. But honestly, there's such a mess that I 
I don't see that as anything but uh, damage control. I, I don't see that as them trying to clean it up as much as kind of hide the fact that some of these might actually be worse than even we think at this point. But I could okay, be wrong. So what's, what's, what's worse, having a horrible movie and great articulation or a good movie with somewhat subpar articulation, what is worse for Hasbro? I don't know. I mean, the thing is, I it's hard because I look at it from a collector standpoint where I, I'm okay with the movie. I'm going to buy the movie, but I'm going to buy every toy. I'm not going to buy multiples of the DVD. As far as, you know, kids go and what's successful, I mean, that's fine. But are we then encouraging them to keep this up if we support it or if the world supports it? I mean, it can't. they can look at it two ways. They can say, we've now made a ton of money off this great film, or at least a film that was better than Rise of Cobra, and we saved money on the toys, so now we're up to, do they, does that encourage them to continue doing this? And then from now on, G.I. Joe is, you know, the greatest Star Wars toys never made, or do we hope that with that money, they say, okay, now here's G.I. Joe in full with all the money behind it that we've all been sort of clamoring for and that we know everyone wants and we know that we can get kids on board because now they're already on board and we have the collectors and everyone's happy. I, To me, I, I'd rather have a crappy movie with great articulation. I didn't like anything from Rise of Cobra, but it sort of paved the way for, at least with its articulation and detail and design, for Pursuit of Cobra, which I think is indispensable. So I, I don't know. Okay, well, the, the the step back in articulation on the vehicle drivers is it's new to Joe. It's nothing new to Hasbro because they've done it lately with the Marvel movie figures, Yeah, uh, the vehicle drivers. Um, I, I guess I'm okay with that because that's Marvel and I'm not so much of a Marvel fan as I am a Joe fan. The, the single-pack figures don't really seem to have as drastic as a reduction of uh, articulation, even though there is some. Do I care if Roadblock has double-jointed knees? Probably not. Do I want Storm Shadow and the Red Ninja and Snake Eyes to have double-jointed knees? Yeah, probably I, I would want that. Uh, does Cobra Commander need to have a double-jointed knee? Maybe not. I see where people are going that it's a, it's it is very, and I'm with you. I am very disappointed that we're taking a step backwards in evolution that we're not seeing anything at least equal to the very least what we got in the 25th line. And we got to admit, I mean even some of those early 25th bowls are like Ugh, nowadays compared to what we've seen in Pursuit of Cobra and the 20 and the 30th we're like, yeah, that's a, that's a hell of a lot better. Uh, but this is a drastic step back. Uh, I, I I don't see it as a trend necessarily on a single pack fi- figures, but I, I, I do see possibly this might be something that we see going forward for maybe a while until costs are adjusted or something uh, with the vehicle drivers. Unfortunately, that's I, I it just we've we talked about it before going back to uh, uh, when we were just talking about Cobra Island that uh, business trumps all, the bottom line trumps all, and if the bottom line says you know. Five points of articulation, seven points of articulation. Unfortunately, we're on a losing end of that. So, the, so basically, the next question is: How do you combat it? You know, do you buy the stuff, or you do you not buy the stuff? And then you send Hasbro the 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 uh, the message that uh, you know we're just not going to buy it. And they could they could possibly interpret that message a number of ways, and none of which I can really think is good. Yeah, yeah, it easily can be interpreted as well. Vehicles don't sell. And not even look at it as the figures. So we're back to G.I. Joe the vehicle line then. 
30 years later. Back to the roots. Back to you. (laughs) All right. Well, that uh, wraps up our uh, retaliation reveal review. And um, uh, next episode when we cover Toy Fair, we'll obviously have a whole lot more to cover. um, And maybe even uh, look back on some of the things we discussed tonight if they turn out to be different or forbid worse than, uh, than what we've seen thus far. Um, and that also wraps up our first, uh, episode of the Joe Declassified podcast. Um, Yay! we've actually, five hours. I was going to say we've been recording for five hours, but some of you won't hear that, but it'll be available on the DVD extras. I'm sure I'd like to thank Chris Murray first for, uh, for being so generous with his, uh, showing off his, uh, Cobra Island sketches and all that information that, uh, Thanks, Chris. went with him. Thank you, Chris. That's amazing. Um, My pleasure. I, I know it. I know it might not seem like a big deal to some people listening, but not everyone likes to share, and not everyone is up for sharing. And honestly, no one has to share. And uh, Chris shared a, an absolute ton, so we're extremely grateful for that. Um, and obviously, I'd like to thank uh, everyone who was uh, on board tonight. And uh, I'd also like to thank everyone that wasn't on board, um, wherever you might be. I know Justin's busy doing his toy fair thing. Uh, I don't know where Tim and Ken are. Uh, I know Jay is coughing up hairballs. He's not feeling good. Um, Pat, obviously, uh, couldn't make it, but he'll be back. And um, Terry actually couldn't make it because it's his his mother's 65th birthday. So happy birthday, uh, Terry's mom. Um, no, we got we got Terry on a special edition of What's on Joe Mind, so he'll be heard. Oh, awesome. Okay, cool. But happy birthday, nevertheless. Yes. Not to Terry, but to his mother. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, Terry can go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> that, he is. He's going on What's on Joe Mind. Oh, he survived. That's a low survived. blow, Gary. That's a low blow. Um... So yeah, that wraps it up for this uh, this first episode of Joe Declassified. And if uh, let's see, Phil had to duck out early, and James had to duck out early. I'll just leave it you at want to that. that. Yeah, just um, leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to go into any details. There. <laughs> I do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hey, listen to What's On Your Mind every week with whatsonjourmindofhopping.com. Thank you. And that is the first episode of Joe Declassified, Spec Ops Podcast. We'll, uh, but, uh, we'll, be, we'll be back next week and uh, probably the week, maybe the week after. I don't know. We'll see how this one goes. Uh, it's going to take, take you two weeks to edit this one. I don't want to edit any of this out. So uh, we'll catch you next week, and uh, thanks for listening. And now I have yeah. to stop recording for a very particular reason. Bye, everyone. Bye. And uh, the toy itself would have been two foot tall when closed up. And it would have had a base about two foot wide. And when it opened up, the five arms folded out to explode the base the place that inside. It would have been roughly six foot diameter. And this basically would have been the, the, the top of the place. So you have a hatch to get basically from the second floor to the third floor. There's like a radar dish. There's a clear dome. And the thing is, actually, the elevator would go up. That's where the elevator was. So I think the figure would be standing on the platform and can, like, 
would go up to the third floor and be in that clear dome, like an observation dome or something. Classified.com